the thing is that we have somehow developed shame around where we are in our journey. It is so brutal. Like it's as if everybody who is 10 years into a career, let's say, has forgotten what it felt like when they were two years in. And that sensation of floundering and seeking and and feeling insecure and all of those things. And they think, well, I went through it, so you should go through it too. No, that's extra cruel because you know what it felt like. We do not have to suffer for growth. We need to commit. We need to be all in. We need to put in the effort. Sure, we don't have to suffer. We don't have to be riddled with insecurity. We can just say, look, I am here right now in my journey. Two years ago, I was there. And five years from now, I'm going to be there. Yay me. You know, and own it and say, I love being where I am today. Here's what I'm aspiring to. Here's what I'm trying to learn. But I don't have it yet. I'm working on it. All in. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and you are listening to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, here's today's question. Where do you need more swagger in your life? And I'm not talking about the fake version of swagger. I'm not talking about arrogance or aggression or a false sense of bravado. I'm talking about real swagger, the type that you can't fake. You know, you've, you've seen them. We've all seen them. The people who walk into a room and you can't help but notice. The ones that seem to emit something, exude something that makes them stand apart from everybody else in the room. They laugh easily, they speak up easily, they listen carefully and generally seem comfortable, capable and confident in their own skin. The result? They are magnetic. Literally. They, they always seem to attract the right opportunities and the right people to them without even trying, by just showing up and freely offering what they have to give. In the words of my next guest on today's Inside Influence podcast, the truth of who we are is all we have in this world. It's all we are, our words and our deeds. That is our truth. So how do we make our words and our deed just more magnetic? And the answer? Start working on our swagger. Leslie M is a former TV host and advertising creative director turned training guru. Having spent decades traveling the globe with her award-winning company Combustion, working with executives and teams from top organizations like Google, Disney, PepsiCo, TD Bank, Uber, and way, way more. Seriously, the list may as well just be the entire Fortune 500. She's turned technologists into creative forces, bankers into storytellers and has brought a serious dose of, I love this word, bad assery to boardrooms across the world. 
Her latest book, Swagger, Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want, is a Wall Street Journal, US Today, and Amazon number one bestseller. To quote her website, she's been called better than therapy, a rock star, ass kicking, a force of nature, and even, quote unquote, a witch. So, you know, basically, my kind of woman. In this conversation, we dive into why faking it until you make it is the opposite of what works. Especially if you want to end up being a magnetic and technicolor version of yourself as opposed to somebody else. The main swagger blockers that most of us have when it comes to speaking up and standing out. The visual she gives here when she's talking about navigating a ninja warrior course has stuck with me ever since, especially as my family are obsessed with Ninja Warrior right now. I'll let you listen in for that, but it's one of the best ways I've heard when it comes to what blocks us in our swagger. The power of intention. Yes, it's not just me on this old hobby horse again. Now I have a friend. And while speaking your intention clearly and completely changes our ability to cut through other people's stories and reset the balance. How to answer the question, who do you think you are? So rather than going our entire lives and careers fearing hearing that question, you know that question that we don't want to hear? The one that makes us feel like an imposter more than anything else? The question of who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to put your hand up? Who do you think you are to speak out? Who do you think you are to say no? Who do you think you are to say yes? Who do you think you are to use your voice? Rather than fearing the question, we can start to write and then own our own answer. Why a huge part of swagger is owning our stories, especially the uncomfortable ones. The ones, you know, the ones that we fear are going to make us look like a failure in some aspect of our lives, either our work lives or our personal lives. The difference between authentic and intentional. Yes, there's that word again. And why spewing your truth onto other people is the fastest road to failure. And finally, the power of sitting in fascination when it comes to criticism, perceived or real. Now, this one has been super powerful in my own life. The, the ability to almost play a game with myself to see how long I can sit in curiosity until I can actually choose my reaction. Not the first reaction that comes up, not the second one, not the third one, sometimes not even the fourth or the fifth, but the one that I would consciously choose. And the pathway between what happens and choosing our reaction is sitting in curiosity. You know, my main takeaway from this conversation was was actually really unexpected. It turns out that both Leslie and I are huge fans of boxing training. In fact, random fact, her first amateur bout in front of 900 people she took on at the age of 51. I'm telling you, badass. What's the one thing that boxing, swagger and influence all have in common? You need to learn to take a punch. Some days, you know, they just won't go well. Some decisions will blow up in your face. Some conversations won't go as you had hoped or anywhere like you had hoped. Some outcomes are going to literally knock the breath out of you. However, the real influencers, the real swagger pros keep getting back in the ring, keep showing up, keep putting in the hours, especially when the crowd has gone home and the critics have got bored and no one is watching. Now, this has to be my favorite line from our conversation. If you are in the arena and throwing enough punches, 
you're not worrying about the last one that you threw because you simply do not have the time. I would call that certainty. She would call that swagger. Now, if you're looking to take your journey in influence to the next level right now, don't forget to hop on my website or the show notes and download the brand new version of my ebook, The Influencer Code. It is pretty much 20 years of my career distilled into, I think, 10 pages. It covers the seven areas and the seven core questions that I have found hands down to be the most useful when it comes to rapidly increasing your level of influence. It is these questions that I use with every single one of my consulting clients, every single brand that I go into work with. Just pop in your email address and it will be in your inbox in a moment. My newsletter, Influence Insider, also gives one bite-sized tool, strategy, or mindset shift per week, all on the topic of building a more influential life. Once again, hop onto my website, juliemasters.com, to become an insider. But for now, grab whatever caffeinated beverage you're into at the moment, or just plug in and hit the road, safely of course, and enjoy the powerhouse that is Leslie M. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie M. So good to have you here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. You're my antidote for back pain. We just discussed that my back was hurting. So I consider this treatment for a sore back. Well, I'm going to try and lift your levels of endorphins, see if we can get some serotonin running, see if we can block the pain. Little adrenaline, all that good stuff. Let's just get yeah. those happy chemicals flowing. All right. Well, let's. I'll, I'll give it my best shot for you. Let's kick off the way that I always kick the podcast off. And that is to ask the question, is there any idea that's having a lot of influence on your thinking right now? And the premise being that people that have great ideas tend to find great ideas before the rest of us. So what idea is really impacting you? I think it's not so much a new idea. It's the cementation or cementation of an idea that I believe in so profoundly, and it looks like the world is finally starting to catch up to it. And I think the pandemic was partially responsible for that. If there is a an upside to the pandemic, pandemic a weird side benefit, I may have discovered it. And, and that is that the genie uh, of imperfection has been released from her bottle. And all of that glossy, shiny, false front of I got it all together. I'm so in control of my life has been stripped away from us. And now we're on zoom calls and the dog is barking and the children are barfing and things are happening. And the CEO shows up in his pajamas and all of the chaos that is true about our lives has become front and center. And for me, the beautiful thing about that is that it allows us to move forward in the same spirit. If we choose to, which is the way we should be living, the fact that we are all perfectly imperfect and beautiful human messes, we just need to start owning it from the jump. And I'm seeing it happen more because we can't pretend that mm -hmm. it wasn't happening. And you're right, it has been this incredible readjustment to, okay, there's, I'll leave the mess in my house, I close the door on my house. I put my suit on. Here yeah. I am, perfect warrior. No, no troubles in my world. No confusion yeah. or, you know, lack of clarity in this space. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're all in a situation that is equally as uncertain. We're all making it up as we go along. We're making it up as we go along, like you said, with our kids and our half-naked partners behind us. How do we? How do we hold on to that? You know, the 
Is there a way of holding on to that that doesn't require a pandemic? Is it what I think I'm trying to say? Well, I think that we've started it. So I think it's easier to continue than it is to start. The pandemic forced us to start. And now it's it's up to every individual to continue. And, I, and I'm talking, it's not just the responsibility of leaders. It's not just the responsibility of HR. It's not just the responsibility of, you know, of the masses. It is everyone's responsibility because it doesn't work unless the chain is intact. Because if I am not going to be accepting of my own imperfections, we're not going to succeed. If I'm not going to be accepting of other people's, you know, uniqueness and imperfections and realities, it's not going to work. So everybody has to be accountable for their own, you know, for their own swagger and for creating an environment in, in which other people's swagger can shine. So I, the finger pointing, we can't start as like, oh, you know, the corporate policy isn't really support. Eh, 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 nah, you're a human. The person who you work with to your left is a human to your right, whether it's in a Zoom call, you know, or in the office, they're just humans too. So make a human pact. That's all you need to do and keep it going because there's going to be nothing more heartbreaking than than if we are told now oh this this didn't this reality didn't really happen go back to compartmentalizing go back to only bringing a percentage of who you really are into the work environment however that that may be only do that that that's better for us you know emotions are messy we don't like those can you leave those at home please you know all of the things that that we've either been told or We've told ourselves because it it allows us to stay shinier. There was some beautiful language you just used there about making a human pact, which I love because that that's a practical that's a practical thing, right? As a team, as an organization, that we can do, we can make a human pact that you know I embrace your humanity, you embrace mine. Obviously, we know that we have a shared responsibility here for tasks to get done, but there is space for you in that to show up with everything there's too much i mean i've you know i've worked in the areas of innovation creativity leadership you know communication for 15 years and there is way too much focus on things like consensus consensus is the death of everything that is great it is a guarantee for death because it means that we have all reduced our expectations or our, our tolerance or our risk level to the absolute lowest common denominator in the room or in the decision-making process so that we don't ruffle any feathers. That is not the root of greatness, fact. You know, you should be freaking out as a collective. You should agree to freak out as a collective and say, we got each other's back. We have no, I no idea. The, that's the only consensus we should get is, this could go in any direction. Yes, it could. High five. Let's go for it. You know, that's how we experience change and, and that's how we innovate. And I, you know, this whole playing nice, everybody wants to play nice and it's because they don't know how to be nice. So they play nice. And that reduces again, the, the authenticity of the environment, the psychological safety of the environment, because people can smell BS from 6,000 miles away. And if you're all pretending to be accepting and pretending to be nice and pretending that you can bring all of your beautiful freaky stuff, you know, to, to play here. But the truth is you can't, you're going to get a beat down or smack down a side eye, a judgment. You're going to be held back, whatever it is. People are not, are not stupid. They will know and they will see it. And then you're paying for a hundred, hundred percent of an employee, but you're only getting about 60%. Ha ha sucker. 
What's the difference there between being nice and playing nice? Because obviously there is a fundamental difference. Well, I mean, I think I think playing nice is trying to follow the rules because you think that the rules are going to protect you from having to make choices and decisions and and from you know creating conflict. So you just say, well, here are the rules. Thus, we will play by them. But everything about your demeanor um, implies that you don't like the rules or you don't agree with the rules or you don't agree with what's going on. Being nice is saying, I see what your struggle is as a human being, or I hear your truth, or I recognize that you're trying to get this idea across and, and I'm going to support you in that. I'm going to hear you. I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to have empathy. I'm going to have enough self-awareness to recognize that this dynamic is taking place. And I'm not going to worry about my own self too much for a second. I'm going to worry about you. And I am going to accept you the way that I want you to accept me. That's, that's genuinely being nice. And that, and that is not, that is not in any way, shape or form about giving up your power in any way, shape or form. Well, there's no prerequisite there to agree in the end. No. And, and also the fact that, you know, we think that by listening to other people, that somehow is, is a sign of weakness, that we should, we should assert ourselves. We should control the conversation. We should push our ideas forward. All of these things are, are so aggressive, you know? And it is great to be direct. It's great to have clarity. It's great to speak your truth. Believe me, I am a thousand percent for that. But you don't have to do it like an assault, you know? And it's not a sign of weakness if you do it gently or quietly or respectfully. Or, or you stand down on this occasion so that you can step up on another occasion. All of those things. Like, you know, I, you know one of the, 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 the things that I always say to people is whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not, we are all currently in our place of legacy work. We are doing the things every single day that we will be remembered for, for good or for bad. And it doesn't, we don't start at some point and go, okay, now I'm old. So now I'm going to start behaving differently because I want to be remembered for this or that. We are, we are a sum of all of our actions. We, stand, we, st we have to start standing for something now because we are in our place of legacy work now. Even if we have 30, 40, 50 work years left in us, we're still in our place of legacy work now. So don't say, well, I'm going to climb over people to get to the top. I'm going to do all of those things so that I can get to the top so I can make it better for people. No, not okay. Not okay, because whoever you end up being when you get up there, you're going to have to stay that way in order to hold that position, because that's who people chose to move forward. And that's what you'll be remembered for. There will always be people who say, oh, I remember when so-and-so was coming up and they were not what they pretend to be now. Let's talk about swagger. I want to talk about swagger. So, so talk to me, what is, let's start at the very beginnings of the basics. Like, what is swagger in your words? Well, when they, a lot of people hear the word, they assume it means that arrogant show off peacock in your face, you know, kind of jam. And that is not my definition of swagger. I have redefined the word as the ability to manifest who you really are and hold on to that in the face of all of the psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of the situation or environment. So it means you have one truth, one face, one heart, and you show up with that no matter the challenges around you, no matter the situation and no matter who you're with. And that's different. I love the language you use there, you know, one truth, one face, one heart. Like 
that's very different to fake it until you make it, right? Oh, like that's, a, that's a world away from fake it until you make it. No, I am so anti-fake it till you make it. I think it's the worst advice that you can give. I think it's the worst advice that you can take. There are so many downsides of fake it till you make it that people don't think through. They're so busy trying to come across as something that they sacrifice so many more important things in the process. Because here's the logic of it. It's very logical. The thing that you're trying to fake is confidence. Am I right? You're trying to fake confidence. You're trying to convince other people you got it all going on. You know it. You're on top of it. You're the master or mistress of your domain. You are a badass. Meanwhile, you can't fake confidence because confidence solely requires competence. Only by doing something over and over and over again and proving to your highly resistant brain that you do know what you're talking about because you've done it a whole bunch of times and you can be thrown into a variety of, of situations and you will not sink, you will swim. Only then do you experience that thing called confidence. So if you if you want to open yourself wide to the imposter syndrome, go for it, go, all, go for it. Fake it till you make it all day long. And the, the, the second problem is that when we walk around telling everybody, oh no, I'm on it. I got it. I'm, I'm there. I'm at this level. It's all happening. It's all good. I'm the, I'm the queen. What you do is you actively limit your ability to improve because now you can't ask for help because you're running around like a dummy telling everyone that you, you're all over it. You got it. And if you start asking people for help, you're going to be outed as a liar. So now you're scrambling. Now you're in panic mode. When, whenever you're out of your depth, you've got nowhere to turn. Whereas if you were wise, you would look to all of the people around you who you think have more experience, who have more wisdom, who have more expertise, and you go and you sit at their feet and you say, oh, great, lovely human. I think you're fantastic. I think you kick ass. I think you have all of these skills. I'm so impressed by you. Do you think maybe I could sit at your feet just a little bit? and learn from you. And I would really love that. And I would pay it forward. And I would be so appreciative. And if they say yes, and they do help you and support you, you then turn around to everybody who will listen. And you tell them how you got better, how you got wiser, and how you got smarter as a result of this amazing person's help and support and influence and time. Because now you've A, validated your growth. And B, you've name-checked the person who helped you. So you're going to have people queuing up around the block to be next in line for that honor of helping and supporting you, right? The, the thing is that we have, we have somehow developed shame around where we are in our journey. It is so brutal. Like it's as if everybody who is 10 years into a career, let's say, or 10 years into their, their experience has forgotten what it felt like when they were two years in. And that that sensation of floundering and seeking and, and feeling insecure and all of those things. And they think, well, I went through it, so you should go through it too. No, that's extra cruel because you know what it felt like. And to say that it made you who you are is bullshit, right? We do not have to suffer for growth. We need to commit. We need to be all in. We need to put in the effort. Sure. We don't have to suffer. We don't have to feel crappy about ourselves. We don't have to be riddled with insecurity. You know, we can just say, look, I am here right now in my journey. 
two years ago, I was there. And five years from now, I'm going to be there. Yay me. You know, and own it and say, I love being where I am today. Here's what I'm aspiring to. Here's what I'm trying to learn, but I'm not, I don't have it yet. I'm working on it all in, you know? And that, that feels like the, the opposite of imposter syndrome, right? Like that to imposter syndrome is what if someone finds me out? What if someone finds out that I don't know everything? I don't have all the answers. There's elements of uncertainty and confusion in my life and in my head, but this is the opposite. This is owning exactly where you are. You eradicate the imposter syndrome. You take all of the power out of it. It has no power anymore. It's like, it's like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, you watch the Wizard of Oz growing up, you know, when, um, when uh, the house has been dropped on the Wicked Witch of the East and Dorothy and Glinda are together and then the Wicked Witch comes in and she's just fuming and really, who killed my sister? You know, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. And Glinda looks at her and she says, you have no power here. Be gone before someone drops a house on you. That's what you do to the imposter syndrome when you embrace where you are in your journey. It has no power anymore because you go, yeah, you're right. No, this is exactly where I am in my journey. No, no, no. I'm not an expert yet. Absolutely not. Don't claim to be not anything. But here's what I know though. Here's what I'm badass at. Here's what I'm working on. Here's what I hope to be. But this is where I am right now. So what, 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 you know, and then the bullies, you know, the critics just go, uh, Okay. I don't know what to do now, right? It's beautiful. It's very hard to to bully somebody who fully owns fully owns <laughs> yes. their space. It's almost yeah. it's, it's practically impossible. There's yeah. literally there's just no resistance. In That's order right. to bully, you need to push up against something, and if that something shows you no resistance, yep, there's no satisfaction, and that is not even a game. Yep, or you don't cower from it. You know, you don't you don't pull away. You just stand in your place of truth. It's a beautiful thing. You know, that's how you, you, I have a whole chapter in my book about dealing with haters because haters going to come, you know, when you have swagger, swagger is like, like cookies for cockroaches, you know, they are going to come scurrying out because when you're in your place of power, oh, they don't like you. They don't like you. They're like, oh, how do I get some of that? You know, that's, it's like your power buffet is now laden. It's like the best Chinese food buffet you've ever seen on the planet. It's got the little egg rolls. It's got the little sparrows. It's got the little, there's little sushis there for bonus. It's delicious. And everybody's like, oh, she got so much power. Can I just have a little egg roll or a little sushi or a little something? And you go, ah, 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 ah. And you pull down those metal shutters and you go, no, no, no. The power buffet is closed, my friend. You don't get to come snacking. I know I'm delicious and all that. No, I got a lot of sustenance. But no, no, no. Either I invite you and I choose to share my power with you but you can't take it. No one can take your power unless you choose to give it to them. So you just don't do it. You choose. Mm. <laughs> so many questions. So many go, questions. Go, 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 go. First thing, what I love about what you just said is that I've had this theory for a long time that the question that we fear the most, the question that keeps us more small than any other question on the planet, which is, who do you think you are? The fear of that question, being asked that question, asking ourselves that question in our own head when we step out. And the only way to stop fearing the question is to answer it. Mm -hmm. But I've never really had a layer on a process of how to answer it, which is exactly what you just gave, Mm -hmm. which is owning exactly where you are right now. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm working on. And this is where I'm going. We are, we are not our history. We are the stories we tell ourselves. 
you know so it doesn't matter we we all have gone through look at you ask any you ask any little kid i'm sure with your kids when i asked my kids when they were little you know they would go i am awesome i'm amazing i could do anything i'm gonna be you know an astronaut i'm gonna climb a mountain i'm gonna you know solve world hunger i'm gonna be the president of the united states leslie you're canadian stand down whatever you know um and and then life has a way of coming and it can be it starts with the people who love us the most our parents our family and as a result of their own pain their own damage their own experience their own messaging they may inadvertently say things to us that are in in um in conflict with what we believe about ourselves because as individuals we can believe anything we want we don't have to be formed in the eyes of other people that's about the other people we have to be formed in the in our own eyes and yes some of that will be reflected in the people around us but but unfortunately you know we're not careful about how we do that with children you know, we just, we don't think about it. And so they, you know, they pick up this idea of, of who they are in the context of others. And then their swagger starts to get, you know, get, get eaten away. And then they go to school and school will tell them that different is not good. Assimilation is good. There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. There's a way to be, behave yourself. And if you are difficult, you will be ostracized from the collective, from the tribe. You will be sat here, you will be taken there, you won't be able to be in this class, whatever. That's when assimilation is bred into us. Then we get we get into relationships and we go, we learn that that we wanna be loved so badly that we'll do anything to, to get it. We'll sublimate our own needs, we'll sublimate our desires, we'll give ourselves over to other people, all that kind of stuff, which again, notches away at that thing called swagger. And then we go to work. And all it takes is a few bad bosses and a few bad situations. And we start to believe that that we don't have as much power or as much merit or as much you know, potential as we might have believed about ourselves. And we wake up one day and we go, what happened? Who am I? Like, how did I get like this? And and you know, and, and it's what what's happened is that you've lost connection with that person that you came into the world as. Cause that's who you are. That's who you are. You are when you, when you were five, you're pretty much the same now, except you've learned a whole bunch of skills, but your spirit is the same. Your energy is the same. You know, when you hear your parents say, Oh, I remember what Julie was like when she was five, she wouldn't, and she never, and she didn't. And you laugh and you go, I'm still the same today. You know, whereas if you had a sibling who was totally different, you know, my sibling, you know, sibling was, she was much more of a rule follower. She behaved herself. She, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Still like that. Me kicking and screaming, still kicking and screaming, still doing everything too early, too soon, too fast, all of those things. Right. So we, what happens is over time, we we really forget how to see ourselves clearly and we can only see ourselves through the lens of other people and we forget that that lens is completely biased it's about their damage their issues their experiences their needs their hierarchies all of those things right it's the equivalent of going into the airport going over to the baggage carousel picking up somebody's random suitcase off the, the baggage carousel, taking it home, unpacking it, and putting their dirty underwear on your head. It's wearing other people's baggage. It's not a good look. 
not to mention not hygienic. It's not a good look. And we don't need to do it. We say, okay, that's, that's how you feel. That's what you want. That's what you need. This is what I feel. This is what I want, you know, and, and I won't change it to make you happy, but I sure as hell will work to try and figure out how it can be good for you too. When you first start working with somebody, I'll just unpack this a little bit. When you first start working with somebody, how do they usually voice the space that they're in? Because I'm guessing they don't usually walk into the room and say, I just feel like I need some more swagger here. Like what, how, what's the language they tend to use to voice where they're at? Well, I think, I think we're so terrified of, of not being accepted in, in, you know, in the tribe, in the collective, that we don't voice it initially. You know, we don't tend to come into the room with swagger. We go, ooh, probably should keep my head down. Probably should feel, you know, feel the vibe a little bit, you know, spend a few weeks, months figuring everyone out before I make any moves, you know, all the rest of it. And by that time, it's usually too late because now you're afraid because you're, you're so caught up in the dynamics and the, you understand the stakes and so on. I, I find that um, for me, it's about creating meaningful connection with individuals. So you don't need to make, take a stand at a meeting as your first act. Go have coffee with people. Go talk about your real life. Go talk, tell them what kind of person you are. Tell them what you're like. I'm someone who, if you do this and that happens and you've got, I've got your back and you can count on me for that. I'm not very good at this. So I may come to you for that. Are you cool? Are you really good at that? Like, how could we share our skills? What could you rely on me for? What could I rely on you for? You know, I'm someone who's hundred like, tell them, tell them, and then be that. Like if it's, if it's authentic, just go, just be that. And then they will love you for it. They go, Oh my God, I, what I love about Julie is what you see is what you get. There's no artifice. There's no bullshit. You know where you are stand at all times because she'll tell you and she'll do it with compassion and respect, you know, like, oh, I don't want to know if I liked how that meeting went. I think my feelings got a little hurt. I mean, I know it was no one's intention, but I ended up feeling a little, a little hurt. Can we talk about that for two minutes? There's something in what you just said then, which is the, the ability to be able to speak your truth about something, own it, speak it but do so in a respectful and a compassionate way that isn't just some kind of emotional vomit yeah, on top oh of no. everybody else. And, and I think that we get caught in that a lot, that dance between authentic and intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we want authenticity, but there's got to be some intention. Yeah, right? well, intent, I mean, there's three, three um, drivers of swagger and they have to work in concert. You can't just have one without the other. The first one is truth. The ability to speak your truth, because that's all we have in this world. That's 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 the expectation that we set for our actions to then follow, right? That that's it. I this is what I believe. This is what I need. This is what I I feel. All that kind of stuff. And then your intention, then your sorry, your actions can support that. So you're aligned, because authenticity is when what you think and feel aligns with what you say and do, right? That's really what 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 is authenticity for good or for bad, right? Um, so. Speaking your truth is not just running around with your hair on fire, like you said, like barfing and all the, yeah, I must speak my truth. You all must hear me. And that's it. That's so important. Whatever. People just throw water on you. They're like, I don't want to hear it. I got no time for it. No, I don't care if you're on fire. It's not my problem. Right. So um, the first thing is you've got to think about the, the reframing your truth. Because people inherently care about themselves most. Even the most compassionate people in the world, if two of you were on fire, they put themselves out first, you know? So we have to think about how can I reframe this truth 
not diminish it, not change it, not sublimate it, but how do I reframe it so that it's not just good for me, it's good for the other, the collective, and the greater good? How can I position that? Because if it's not really good for that for that series of, of, of people, then I might want to rethink it. I might go, wait, that's really selfish. Like, this is not about anybody other than me. Oh, no one's going to have time for that. You're right. No one's going to have time for that. So let it go. Let it go. That's got, that doesn't need to be said. You can, you can worry about that yourself, but that doesn't need to be said to other people, right? Now, you also have to get strategic when you speak your truth because you want your truth to land. That is the purpose. We don't want to just barf our truth into the wind. We want our truth to be heard. So we can't just sort of, you know, hold people to task and say, you have to care about and listen to my truth. No, I don't. Nobody does, right? So we have to get smart about how we do it. We have to think about uh, when we speak it is now the best time. Where we speak it in this, in this situation right now, is this like, should I maybe wait until after this drama trauma is over and then circle around and have a one-on-one conversation lest I out someone or hurt someone or throw somebody, uh, uh, you know, under the bus, because that is not what I, what I'm trying to do here. Um, and it could be to whom find the person who will benefit from the truth, from hearing the truth and will recognize the benefits to the collective and to the, the greater good. Right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is to your point, smarty girl, intention. That's your second driver. It's the why. Why are you doing it? If it's just for you, it's not going to fly. If it's to make yourself look bigger and make someone else look smaller, it's not going to fly. If it's to take control of something and take control away from somebody else, not going to fly. You know, all of those things, all of those self-serving things. If, if it's about, you know, because um, um, you're pissed and you want to take your anger out, you want revenge, it's not going to go well. And you probably, if you look back across your life, you'll notice how that never goes really well, right? So you have to know why. And once you identify why, the smartest thing you can do is just tell other people what your intention is. Just tell them. My intention here is to um, share some insights that I believe are going to help change the direction of this project. And I know that it might feel a little bit a little bit, you know, ah, a little edgy because I'm going to, I'm going to challenge some stuff, but my really, please understand my intention is to help us not, you know, continue to spin. Okay. And then you don't just go, you're an idiot. <laughs> you go, here's what I, here's what I've noticed, or here's what I recognize. And here's the ways that I think we could, we could solve those problems. And you know what, if you're not, if people don't love you for it, that's okay. Because the third part is self-belief. You have to believe that you have the stuff to say it and that you deserve to say it. There's so much power in, in intention, in stating your intent. Intention just has this ability to cut the conspiracy theories, cut the story. Mm -hmm. If I have a story about you, if I have a story about why you're sharing this, if I have a story about our past experiences, there's something about somebody very clearly and genuinely stating their intent that just cuts the story. Mm-hmm. And it somehow provides like a clean slate for this conversation. Yeah. It's like, you know, when, when someone, you know, when someone's rude to us in the grocery store or whatever, and then, you know, we're pissed off and because they've been rude to us, whatever, 
But then we go outside and we see them helping their elderly parent out of the, the car or helping their elderly parent, you know, out of the wheelchair into the car. And you go, oh, that person was having a hard time. Of course, that person was frustrated and edgy and whatever. You know what I mean? And you go, oh, why don't we just assume that everybody's got stuff going on, right? Just assume that I, I've I've met surprisingly few truly shitty humans in my life. Like truly, intentionally shitty humans. I think that they're a rarity. They, they exist for sure. But I think we we um, we assume that so many more people are shitty than than they really are. You know, talk to me about swagger blockers, the things that block our swagger. Well, it, I, I've watched people for the last fifteen years deal with this. You know, I mean, I've I've discovered that that um, it doesn't matter what your title is, what what country you live in, what what company you work at, all the rest of it. You know, most people do not believe that who they really are is good enough in order to to, to allow them to succeed. They don't believe that that they can reveal to the world who they really are and still find success. Like it's the story, we, it's a crazy story we tell ourselves. And so the things that keep the real us, the most powerful, the most authentic, the most potential filled, the most sort of, you know, often sort of untapped stuff. We, you know, we keep that in deep inside us because it's where it's safe. Okay. So we, we protect that because we're the most vulnerable in that place. The people who've known us the longest will, will know us like that. Our best girlfriends, our, you know, hopefully our families, hopefully our partners, you know, the, the unfettered, unadorned, you know, messy, beautiful, you know, us. That's the real us. And then um, I want you to imagine a series of concentric circles that separate us from the real world, that, that, that real authentic self. So um, let's start from the outside in because it's the one that's closest to the world, but furthest from the real us. And that's persona. That's blocker number one. It's like you said, that, that feeling that you have to walk, talk, dress, act, show up a certain way in order to be taken seriously, in order to be credible, in order to be given respect, in order to be accepted and loved. Um, and uh, you, you put on that face every single day when you go out into the world. You know, it's that suck it up face or it's that everything's okay face or it's that I got it face or whatever it might be, but it is not representative of who you really are, what you're feeling or what you, you believe. So persona is the number one. The next layer in is ambition. Ambition is a big swagger blocker. Ah, I love when you little tilt your head there. I can see you tilt your head because I don't have a hate on for ambition in any way, shape, or form. I'm all about aspiration. I'm all about achievement. I'm all about progress. I'm all about dreams coming true, but not when it comes at the cost of your authenticity. And then I'm not for it. And, and you know, um, ambition has a way of stopping the real us in our tracks because we don't believe that who we really are is good enough. So we start to put on all of this front, all of these airs, all of these behaviors, and we fixate up on the ladder. We're like so fixated on getting up the next rung of the ladder that by definition, we stop focusing inwards into the, to who we really are. We don't focus as much left and right to our colleagues as we should. And we sure as hell don't focus on our followers because we don't see them as being essential to, to the aspiration, right? And we do it because we're terrified and we want the validation. We think that if we, if we achieve that goal and get that title and get that external validation, 
everything is going to be great. I won't feel the imposter syndrome anymore. I'll be able to, you know, whatever. It just, it's bullshit. There's just more of the same waiting for you and the stakes will be higher, right? But now you see ambition reinforcing, um, reinforcing persona, why those are two, are, are two, you know, interlinked. So you have to be careful about the difference between being super ambitious, like I need that next thing and just being in your place of excellence. That's, that's the difference. It's the consciousness of being in your place of excellence. Because when you're in your place of excellence, you have to focus inwards. You got you to gotta focus left and right. And you sure focus on your followers. And the beautiful thing is they will lift you. That is the big secret. They will all lift you to where you want to be. You don't have to scrabble the same way. You know, it is, it is so doable to just be in that place of excellence for yourself, for the collective, for the greater good and still achieve all of those things without losing your authenticity. Uh, next layer in is insecurity. It's all those what ifs. What if I don't walk, talk, act a certain way? What if people don't give me the promotion? What if I'm not loved and accepted by everybody else? What if, I, if, I, if I'm not seen a certain way? What if, what if, what if, what if? And there are no answers in insecurity. There's only turbulence and questions. And it's like being in the spin dryer you know, from hell or, or listening to the podcast from hell that never ends, that has all of those negative old tapes that just play over and over and over again. And there's no respite from, it doesn't end. It's a loop. That's what insecurity is. It, if it, if it had an end point, it wouldn't be insecurity anymore. You would, you would you have to, you know, you go sort of go through it a little bit and you go, oh, okay. But if we stay stuck in insecurity, we're lost. You can't move forward. The brain is not capable. The, the brain um, has a has a default setting that says um, uh, that which has been tested and proven equals good. That which has not been tested and proven by definition equals bad. So it has a better safe than sorry switch. That's how the brain operates. And that's how the brain has kept us safe for so long. So anytime we don't have an answer, we will assume the worst because then we can prepare for the worst. This is why we're all such freaking Debbie Downers. You know, it's so hard to be an optimist, you know, and even if you're speaking optimistically, you're still feeling the insecurity. You're still feeling the, the tenuousness of situations, you know? So the next, the next one, it is fear. So fear is the reinforcer of insecurity because fear, what happens with fear is fear is the answer to the questions. Fear is bad things are going to happen. That place with that, you know, that, that object terror that we live in, that is so completely convinced that bad things are going to happen. And that's what keeps us paralyzed. And the brain likes it very much, right? This is, this is part of the, literally the human sort of psychological and neurological condition. This is the brain structure. This is the reptilian brain keeping us safe from the unknown. And the brain can't differentiate between a tiger is going to eat me fear and my boss might give me a side eye fear. Fear is fear. You know, it's not, it's, it, it's really not all relative, you know, when you're feeling it because the, the, the physical response is the same. You get endorphins, you get cortisol pumping through the brain. You can't think clearly all of that stuff. That's fear is fear, right? So now you have fear, reinforcing insecurity, reinforcing ambition, reinforcing um, persona. Last one in is uh, the castle gates. It's the scar tissue. It's the one closest to us. And um, the one that is the hardest to navigate, uh, it's pain. Because pain is proof. Pain says, oh, I tried that one time. 
it did not go well. And I'm not going to go back there again. I know it hurt like a bitch. I'm not going to do it. There's no, I'm just not, whatever. And, and the thing about pain is that pain is not what's happening in the moment. It's the memory of what happened before to create the scar. Always, always as an adult. We, I don't think, you know, there's, there's rare times where we experience new pain. Like, for example, the, the serious loss for the first time. That's a, that's a new pain, right? But we te- if we ever lost a pet, we tested the pain of loss. You know, but but losing a parent, for example, can be can be that pain amplified. But you know, if you were in fourth grade and you got up in front of a room and did your presentation on tree fogs and everybody was laughing, you're like, why is everyone laughing at me? What's going on? And you find out that your fly was down or you had like a big booger hanging out of your nose and people called you booger face for the next six months, whatever. That that's a scar. And so now, likelihood is every time you have to get up in front of a room and speak your truth, all you can hear is. Booger face, booger face, booger face, booger face. And you're, you're experiencing that pain over again. And, and it's, and it has no, you, you have no context for it. It's just pain is pain. And every time who we really are wants to come up and play, it has to navigate, negotiate its way through all the blockers, like an American ninja style gauntlet, you know? And even if the real us manages to make it out past persona, into the waiting world. And even if somebody gives us props for it and says, good on you, good on you, girl. That was awesome. I'm so proud of you for speaking your truth. That was so important. That was so valuable. You're amazing. That, um, that validation now has to make its way back through all of the blockers. Each will take its hit going back in. So you can imagine what the brain does. Brain goes, Oh my God, I bet she's just saying that to make herself look good. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Why do I say, why do I always do that? I bet, I bet she's just saying it to try and suck up to me because like I do that every time I should have just, I could see that someone was giving me that kind of look. I'm an idiot. Why do I do it? I'm never, I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. Never doing it again. That is the reality of what we face. I've just got this visual in my head now, my my family's really into Ninja Warriors right now. You know, the, the big Ninja Warrior courses, the TV yes, shows. Yes, that's exactly it. I've, just, I've got that in my brain now. That, yep. uh, what needs to get navigated. So think about pain is that wall. You know the wall they have to run up and grab onto the top of the thing, their big running start? That's yeah, pain. the final piece. That's pain. Oh, yeah, that's pain. I love that. Yeah. All right, so let's let's rewind back to the beginning of that story. What's uh, What's the through line? What's our way through? there other than just not attempting the course staying in the bleachers throwing some peanuts at other people and then going home and having a good night's sleep the the there is no easy route just like there's no easy route in climbing a mountain you can't just run up run up it and go whatever you're gonna have to have oxygen you're gonna have to have base camp you're gonna have to have a sherpa you're gonna have all those things the the first thing is to start to become aware of where you get stuck the most which is the op which is the part of the obstacle course that you keep falling off of you know, like I'm good at running across the rope bridge, but every time I get to that water thing, I fall in inevitably. And then we want to, we want to stay there, stay there first. Okay. Cause this is going to be a, a process. And remember, I come from a training background, so I would never write a book that was like, you know, inspirational, motivational, no shade to anybody who's written one of those books, but it would be cruel for me to do that. I'm all about the how. How, 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 what are we going to do? Break it down, break it down, break it down. So I created exercise upon exercise upon exercise to deal with the big, the small, the in the moment, the planning for, the reflecting on, 
each of those blockers, break them down piece by piece by piece and do the work. Like if you're, if you're not used to speaking your truth, if you've been muzzled for a lot of your life, you're not going to just go into a meeting because someone encourages you and go, that's it. I'm going to tell you what I think of you and whatever's done. No. Okay. The, what my, what I say to people is you may not even know what the truth feels like in your mouth. The truth can be terrifying. You may not know how to make those words come out of your mouth. So let's start there. I mean, you may, you may be okay with that. Skip over that exercise then, but you may not be. And then I have an exercise, which is really simple. It's put a whole bunch of situations in a hat that you know makes you clam up where you don't speak your truth. Just put them in a hat. And then every day, pull one out of the hat, look in the bathroom mirror, and, and ideally record yourself. And for one minute, speak your truth on it. No one's listening, just you and the recording. That's it. Just, just say it. It could be anything. It could be every time your mother says it's about time you get married and you have not had the courage to go, you know what? Right. And so hear, hear what it sounds like. Get emotional. If you need to get emotional, listen back. How did it sound? Did it feel strong? Is there, is there, is there anything that you would change about that? Right. And just, you, and you just, every day, you just pull one out of the hat, pull one out of the hat, practice, 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 practice. And, and really what you're doing is inadvertently preparing for those conversations. But until you're ready, no one's forcing you to have those, those conversations. Right. And just the wiring, what you're doing is you're wiring yourself, right? You're wiring yourself to show up. You're wiring yourself to formulate the words faster and faster and faster. Mm -hmm. And you're also wiring yourself to get mindful. Yes. Okay. What was that? That was a vomit. I just, I vomited into the mirror. That's fine. I'm going to yeah. keep doing that for a while. Self-awareness. And then I'm going to get more strategic with my language here. Yeah. Yeah. And also, also what you're doing is you're experiencing the physical response. You're going to experience this, the, the cortisol. You're going to manage it. You're going to experience the dopamine. Is it, does it feel good? Is it emotional for you? Does it feel super powerful? Do you want to do it again? Is it a little bit of a high? You know, all of those things. It's, it's the promise of what's waiting for you, you know, because there's no downside to learning how to speak your truth. You can choose to do it. And, and by the time you choose to do it, you'll have learned 20 other exercises for dealing with the potential fallout of that, right? How to handle it and what, what you can do. So you can just do it in, in a really pure sense, just to learn what the sound of your truth is, which is a beautiful thing. I'm so glad you mentioned, you know, job one, go to the part of the Ninja Warrior course where you fall off first. Because one of the questions that I had for you was I used, I wrote down swagger ceilings in my notes, swagger ceilings, because I feel like we all have those, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, for a long time, my swagger ceiling was getting up and speaking in front of other people. It just, and I worked in the speaking industry. So that was, you know, one of those stories that I didn't tell other people mm -hmm. um, because it's embarrassing. That that's that's a fear of mine. I work in this. I manage speakers, and I'm terrified of speaking. That's probably why it was such a ceiling for you for so long, because there was what? shame. Was shame around it? Huge shame. I mm -hmm. actually so you know, Revealer. I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast before. I went and signed up for Toastmasters mm -hmm. in the back. You know, I manage these speakers who speak hundreds of times a year on stages all around the world, and I go and sign up for a course that a lot of people do when they're pre preparing for a wedding speech just so I could practice speaking. I think there was four people Good on you, in girl. front of four people. And I lied about what I did for a living because I was so embarrassed. Oh, baby. Shame is the worst. It's the worst. It's just the, oh, it's the worst. It is. 
and get going to that. That was my, that was my part of the course. I was like, no, I'm going to keep, I'm just, I'm going to keep, I don't care if I have to go to another room and in a whole other place and do it. I'm going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And so anyway, you know, we were talking year after year, after year, after year, it gets better and better and better and better. And, and the swagger ceiling that I noticed recently, I too, I was booked, ironically, my life led in twists and turns to a place where I ended up speaking as part of the way that I run my business, which is nothing that I could have imagined. And I had been asked to speak at a conference in Bangkok, in Thailand. And so I show up at this thing, there's like 500 people there and I'm in my groove now. I've, you know, this isn't the part of the course that I fall on anymore. And a friend of mine, a good friend, a colleague, had flown in for the event. He had spoken that morning before me. And as far as I knew, he was going to go. He was going to fly back home again. Mm. And he sent me a message and he said, hey, we're here together. I've never seen you speak. I'm going to sit at the back. Oh, right now, now this, this is the part of the course that I fall off. I can speak in front of any, my peers. No, oh, no, 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 no. Now I, I count back out. I'm in another country. I'm due to go on in half an hour. And then, you know, the knees shake, the voice breaks, like the, and having to face up to that half an hour. And I was like, oh, wow, this is my ceiling now. Yeah. This is what my ceiling looks like now. The same, it was the same part of the course. You just didn't realize it. Ah. It's the exact same part of the course. Talk to because, me about that. Well, because what, what you just scaled it differently. Because you, so you rationalized yourself. Okay. Well, I can't speak in front of a lot of people. You started, or I can't speak in front of, you know, a lot of people. I can't do a lot of people do that to themselves. I can't speak in front of a big audience. Oh, I could get up at a meeting and talk in front of five people. No problem. But you put me in front of 50, a hundred, a thousand people. And now I can't, uh, it's the same mechanical process. I know, but I can't, I can't, I can't. Right. And then you deal with that. You go, they're just faceless strangers. I don't have to worry about what they say about me. I'm good with it. I, you know, whatever they think you can't please everybody. It's all good. And that's what you push through in order to get to that place where you're standing on stage. But then someone who matters is there and you're right back to that place of, I want to be accepted. I want to be accepted and I can take a little bit of acceptance from a lot of people. That's going to be okay. That's what I do with the big crowd. I'll take a little bit of acceptance for a lot of people. And it also, if there's a couple of people who don't like me, it's okay. Cause there's going to be a bunch of people who do like me. It's going to offset it, that balance in my mind. But all of a sudden now there's one person whose opinion matters. And I'm right back to that place of, I just want to be accepted and validated. So it's the same thing. Whereas, whereas the, tr the true swagger moment is, is, is being able to say, oh, that's fun that he's going to be able to watch me. I don't really need to hear his feedback or his comment, but that's cool that we're getting to be collegial here. Like we're both speakers. That's cool. And really believing it. That's when you know that you've, that you've, you've broken through the, the ceiling. It's when you go, eh, it's all good. It's all like you, you genuinely, because otherwise, you know, it's the monster in the closet. You just haven't shone the, the light on it enough. So you're always mm. going to, you're always going to be aware of the monster in the closet. And for me also trying to stay in curiosity, mm -hmm. that's been the, one of the keys to swagger for me and, and breaking through the various ceilings to get to the point where you go, you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what curveballs come into this room right now. I'm going to catch some, I'm going to drop some, some are going to hit my head. Some are going to, you know, all of this is going to happen and I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But trying to stay in a place of curiosity, like how long can I stand in curiosity about this without needing it to be a certain way, without needing to be great at it, without needing to be, you know, get a certain result. 
How long can I just stay curious? One of the, 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 the techniques that I, I recommend to people that I coach is, um, you know, self-awareness is great upon reflection and, you know, people write gratitude journeys at the end of the day, or they reflect back on their month, or they have a process or they go to therapy and they use that time for reflection or they work with a coach or whatever it is. I like to interrupt the second. That to me is very important to interrupt the second. And what I say to people is as soon as you feel triggered by something, whatever it is, you don't, it's not good or bad. It's not judgment. You don't, nothing. You don't have to fix it. Nothing. But as soon as you recognize that you've been triggered, I want you to stop in the moment and, and say this out loud. Huh? Isn't that interesting? And you can fill in the rest of the sentence if you want. How, when this happened, that happened, but you don't even have to. If you're still trying to figure it out, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that there was a trigger and that you felt something. Huh? Isn't that interesting? Because being able to stop and look at it by definition creates the beginning of, of analysis, understanding, you know, awareness, all of that, you know, that, that, that curiosity stuff. And you become, you get, you kind of get excited about it uh, after a little while. You go, huh, isn't that, ex isn't that interesting? And you also start to recognize when you don't get triggered by something, you go, oh, wait a second. Isn't that interesting that that didn't bother me at all? Oh my God. And you start looking for the ebb and flow of your emotional state, but in the moment, but you just, you take away any need to do anything about it. So it's very liberating. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to do anything, but that is about staying curious about how you, how you operate emotionally. You know, what, how, do, how does it work for you? Cause different for everybody. There's no, there's no one way to feel. There's no right way to feel. There's no anything. It's just how you do it. And it also creates that gap, right? Just in that moment of being able to go, isn't that interesting? Isn't, yeah. that, isn't that fascinating? Actually, a, a good friend of mine, he's one of the calm, he would be the calmest person I know. He's just the most centered, beautiful, calm human being. And he used to drive me crazy because he would respond to everything, even the things that I was like throwing my hands up in the air, the world is on fire about. He would just, he would say the same thing over and over again. Ah, isn't that fascinating? Uh-huh. Isn't that fascinating? And I'd be like, no, it's not fascinating. It's, it's frustrating. It's hard, yeah. But then that's you. Now that's like a great therapy. It's a great therapy comment because now your your response is going to be, no, it's not. It's X. Attach emotion to it. Understand it. Get curious about it. Start to explain it. All you know. Now we're now we're owning it. It's beautiful. It's very smart. I want to talk to you a little bit about those moments where the swagger feels like it's gotten knocked out of you, mm -hmm. you know, when you a crushing defeat or an epic failure or you're on your knees, you don't know how you're going to get back up. How do you, how do you recover like a, like a badass in those moments? There's a lot that you can do. I mean, the, the, you know, there, there is no one, there's not like a pill you can take, unfortunately, you know? Um, but uh, I think that sort of reminding yourself that you are still, now who you were before this event is a good thing. So um, I, I reconnect with people that know me the best, that I love the best, so I can cry to them. And they're inevitably going to tell me, you're awesome, you're amazing, you're whatever. And it puts a little bit of like silly putty in the wound, you know, a little, a little bit. The other thing too is I, I go and help other people. If I want to remember how powerful I am when I've experienced some what I consider to be 
you know, failure or defeat or whatever. And I'm very cautious about those words because I don't believe there's such a thing as defeat or, or failure. I don't, I, it just doesn't occur to me. It's just, oh, it's a thing that happened. It's one of the many things that happened because it can't go perfectly all the time. That's just fact. Like it's just would be weird. You know, I don't have a rabbit's foot up my butt. So it's, it, there's no, it's, it's inevitable that I'm going to be faced with trials and tribulations so on and so forth. I also know at my age that I learn the most when it's the hardest or the worst. You don't learn from easy. You don't learn anything. Ooh, look at me. I'm so good. I got it. Uh, you learn nothing. So I go, oh, it's going to be a learner, this one. You know, so I, I reflect on that. Um, but I but I also go and try and help somebody else. I say, let me, I'm going to give you my expertise because it reminds me of just how expert I am. And that's going to make me, it's going to make me feel my swagger again. Um, sometimes I just lay low. I just conserve my energy. I just need, you just need time to kind of regroup. And you don't even have to really do anything, but you take yourself out of the busy mix a little bit. You stay away from social media a little bit. You don't go running back into the fire, get off, you know, get back on the horse. No, no, no. Just take a second for the bruise to recover. And let me just feel some things. Let me just work through some things a little bit, you know? Um, the other thing that I also do, I'm the queen of reframing. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Recently, very recently, um, there was a speaker's uh, bureau that I really wanted to be a part of. And the guy who owns the speaker bureau knows me. And I said to him, I'm not going to bug you to have me join until I, my package is exactly what I want it to be and all the rest of it, you know? So, um, so I had, I had reached out to, you know, a bunch of speakers bureau, but this was one of them that I was like, you know, I have so many speaker friends. A lot of my speaker friends are with this bureau as they are with other ones and so forth. And so he took my package, which I was very proud of, like the, you know, the, that I created the package. And he came back to me a few days later and he said, the team's not buying. They're not buying. They don't feel like they can sell it. And I had a moment. My first thought was, wow, if somebody who knows me doesn't want me, that's harsh. You know, I can understand someone who doesn't know me and who's taken a big flyer, but someone who knows me, that's harsh, right? And then I went, swagger moment. This is a good one. Like, yes, queen, this is a swagger moment. And so I went right into the reframe and I went, well, listen, I get a lot of speaking gigs in this territory. So I just saved myself like, you know, 20, 25%. And if he doesn't think that he can sell me better, I'm not exclusive because now I'm going to be limited and handing over the business that I get, I get by referral and, you know, that, that makes up tons of revenue for me anyway. And like, I think I probably dodged a bullet there. Oh yes, girl. Right. And then not to, no word of a lie. And I felt great after. And then two weeks later, I got picked up by one bureau. And then another week later, I got picked up by another big bureau. So it was like, you cannot be for everyone in this life. And it is okay. Right. So reframe, reframe, reframe. And you know what? Just be freaking kind to yourself. Just be kind to yourself. You know, you're reminding me the the conversation that you and I had before we went on air today, which was about your love for boxing, my love for kickboxing. You know, both of us do it multiple times a week. And the phrase that just kept coming through my head was like, learn to take a punch. Like you mm -hmm. have to, you've got to learn to take a punch. Well, isn't that what it's, what inspired you to start, to start uh, kickboxing? I'm always curious. Oh, that is a good question. And you know what? It's something in the world of swagger. It's, I was in a period of my life where there was, I wanted to, I wanted to start showing up physically. I'm not actually literally not put those two things together until just a second. 
I wanted to show up more physically. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was retreating physically, mentally and emotionally. I'm right there. But physically I was retreating. So you wanted to align your power, yeah, your, your, exactly. your mental your and your physical thing. power to see if it could operate as one unit. As one, um, badass unit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So very similar to me. It was, um, it was, I want to know that I can take a punch and it doesn't end me because it's the most important lesson that you can, that you can learn in this life that a punch can't end you. It takes so much to end you. And it's usually because you've chosen it, you've chosen it to end you. You know, I always say, you know, you've again, chosen it to end you talk, talk to me about that. You've chosen well, it to end, you. you know, people, people talk about, you know, the things that happen to them in their lives as the worst disasters, or they fear these things so massively so that they live their lives based on avoidance of that, of that fear or that inevitability or what they imagine is going to happen. They have all of these stories that they tell themselves, you know, about all of these bad things that can happen. And my, my advice is let a few of those bad things happen to you and realize none of them can end you. None of them. My mother used to say to us when we were, my mother had an amazing mother and she used to say to us when we were little, you know, when something happened, you know, something dramatic and whatever, she'd say, well, you have two choices. You can lie down and die or you can get up and live another day. What would you like to do? To her, there was nothing in between. Lie down and die or get up and, and live another day. And it wasn't get back into the fight and blah, blah, blah. It was just live another day. And so, so I've experienced a million things that, that if I had chosen, could have ended me. I could have lied down and died and chosen not to get up and, and live another day or fight another day or however you want to, you want to put it. Um, and so again, I think that you want to align kind of what's happening on the inside of with you, you with, with what's happening on, on the outside, your physicality. Cause I always treated my body as just a vehicle that carried around my big ass brain. That was the way I always treated my body. Yes, girl, you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, none of you can see me. I am high-fiving yeah. the screen right now. That is the exact, and I've, again, haven't verbalized this very frequently, but that is the exact feeling for a lot of my life, that this body was something that just carried around my brain mm -hmm. and it would get in the way more than anything else. Yes, it was a burden. Was, you know, it was a burden. You, well, yeah, it, it, it's a burden. You got to feed it. You got to rest it. Oh my goodness, what a pain in the neck. It's yeah. a distraction. It wants things. It needs things. It's, yeah. you know, and you asked me about, you know, Muay Thai and, and, and kickboxing. And that was a part of it as well. It was coming back in, like, how do I integrate and own all of this rather than just separating out a yeah. lot of the time? I, I mean, what you learn, you know, if you're self-aware, if you're someone who's self-aware and you're very good at, at metaphor analogy and, you know, connecting the dots, then, then, it, you know, you'll, in any experience that you have, you'll be able to do that. What I found with boxing was that it gave me such beautiful business and life wisdom. You know, for example, once you throw a punch, if you fixate on where that punch is now going to land and waiting to watch the impact of that punch, you're, you're going to be dead. You need to forget about it. As soon as you have made the decision to throw it, it's already out the gate. It's gone. And you need to now be thinking, what am I going to do next? What, what are all the possibilities of the other person following up? How are they going to respond and how do I prepare for that? So you're, you're, you're always in that forward motion of, 
I don't have to just dwell in the moment of this and, oh, I just threw, you know, I just threw a straight, um, you know, a straight punch to that person's face. Um, it will, if it lands on them, I might get a second, but if it doesn't land, they're going to come back with a cross and you don't have that time. You just go, it's out the gate. It's done. What's next. And I, I learned to, to live in, in my business um, life like that, which is like, why am I agonizing over every freaking decision? Once it's made, it's made, go make them see what happens. Like you'll never know until you let them, you release the, the decisions, you know, into the, into the world. Like you'll never know. And I'd rather be in a place of knowing than, than not knowing, you know, I, I also felt like, like, you know, um, you can be hurt and still feel love for, for other people. Right. Because when we spar, as you know, is when, when, when you're sparring, the intention of your, your sparring partner is not to hurt you. It's to teach you. Right. And so, um, you're not standing around with your face stuck out going, please hit me in the face repeatedly. Everyone goes, Oh, I don't want to get hit in the face. And you go, uh, that's kind of the idea that you don't get hit in the face. It's not like saying, please use me as a human punching bag. Right. But, um, you cannot learn without the intention of the, of the, of your sparring partner to try and show you where you're open, to show you where you were vulnerable, to show you where you need to learn how to cover up. And they don't do it to, 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 you know, to knock you down. They do it to wake you up. And that's what life does for us. It's not to knock us down. It's to wake us up and go, Oh yes. Okay. Thank you for telling me that. Thank you for showing me that. Thank you for making me aware of that. Thank you for helping me to understand that, you know, and then you hug it out after and you do that with the world too. You know? But that's about intention. That's about the other person's intention too. I just love that reframe that you did literally just then, which is, you know, we were talking about curiosity going, ah, that's interesting. I felt that way. You could even use that as, as the reframe, which is, ah, oh, that just woke me up. Uh -huh. Like, oh my God, I'm feeling fear. I've just hit a ceiling. I'm, I'm hitting a block that yep. just woke me up. I also, I also say when it comes to things like criticism, I mean, we're, we're getting off topic here, but when it comes to things like criticism, uh, my grandmother used to say, Leslie, from whom it comes, which is, you know, that my, my amazing Jewish you know grandmother, the message there was, you don't have to just accept criticism. Like if someone, if someone does not ha truly have your best interests at heart, if they are not trying to contribute to your growth or evolution or, or some aspect of your well-being, screw them. You don't need to listen. You go, la, 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 put your, your finger in your ears. They're critics. They got nothing for you. Instead, go to people who have that, your well-being you know, it, they're invested in your success or your well-being and say, please give me all the feedback. Do not hold back. Give it to me straight between the eyes because I understand your intention. Let's go. You know, but I don't want to hear the little snipey, crappy criticism thingy. I don't care. Shut up. Like, and the power in choosing those people, like actively, yeah. actively choosing those people in your life and going, right, okay, I'm going to build a board of mentors here. You, you, and you. And if you're willing and gracious enough, you are the people who I will go to, to seek the feedback that I'm looking for. Cause I have chosen you specifically for how you will deliver it, where it comes from your experience and how you feel about me. Anybody outside of that board? It's nice. I appreciate it. Just leave it over there. I'll grab something if I need yeah. it. Or I've had people, you know, on social media reach out to me and talk about the book and what they've learned in the book. And I've had some people say, you know, I love this and this and this and this. Here's something that I found difficult or I found whatever. I'll listen all day long. It's not criticism. It's feedback. 
I'm not going to change my book and I'll go, thank you for telling me that, you know, um, you know, I can clarify the intention or I could just say, thank you for sharing. Thank you for taking the time to share that with me. You know, I'm, I, I'm all for it. If your intention is to only, you know, help spread the message more positively or to take away barriers to success or whatever, I'm all for it. But if you come a sniping, I just laugh. I laugh. I go, oh, you do you, boo. I'm going to me. That's just the way this one's going to roll. You do <laughs> you, boo. Uh, do you know what? That has to be one of the best. I'm not a big fan of advice in general, but the, that has to be one of the best pieces of advice on the planet, I think. You do you. You do you, you just, boo. My love, you do you. Yeah. Because I don't want I don't want anyone to change for me. I don't want to control anybody else. I don't want them to control me either. So it's like we can dis we can agree to disagree. We can be friends and disagree. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and Scalia were friends. Opposite sides of the political spectrum, opposite sides of the value, you know, they like opposite side. But they were friends because they put it aside and they they had something that was about their shared experience as judges. And apparently he made her laugh. All right. Well, what's let's as my as a closing question, if there's anybody out there right now that feels like they're they've hit a swagger block on the Ninja Warrior course or they've taken a punch and they don't know quite how to get back up again, mm -hmm. what's the what's the one piece of guidance that you would give them? Okay, I want everyone to lean in. You've got to lean in for this one. You've got to really hear me. Okay. I want you to know that you already have everything that you need. There is nothing external that you need to be waiting for. You already have it within you. You just have to believe it, accept it, and start using the shit out of it. And that means all of you all of you, your swagger is waiting for you. The question is, what are you waiting for? Ah, uh, so much. I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for the book. Anyone who's looking for a read um, that's going to make actual practical difference to how you show up every day, I can't recommend it highly enough. Thank you, Leslie. Oh, this was so fun. We're friends now. We got to, we got to, we got to keep this going. Got to keep this going. You better gonna, believe it. People are going to want to be a fly on the wall for all of the conversations that are going to happen after this. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea, or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea, or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. 
And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.